Psalm 146 follows the theme of Psalm 145 in that it begins with a note of praise. But after sounding that opening note of praise, the author of this psalm spends the rest of his time framing for us the character of God, telling us something about what God is like, and making the case for why we should place our trust squarely on Him. Now, while there are a myriad of reasons why we should trust God, the psalmist also highlights for us the shortcomings of putting our trust in someone other than God. He gives this warning to the reader in verse 3. Do not put your trust in princes, in mortal men who cannot save. When their spirit departs, they return to the ground. On that very day, their plans come to nothing. Now, if we don't translate the word prince into our own context, we will risk missing the message of the psalmist to us here today. Your prince could be any number of people or groups. Your prince in today's society could be the governments of the Bahamas. Your prince could be your employer. Your prince could even be your spouse. There is a real temptation for us to lean on a person or to lean on persons who have great influence over our standard of living and can affect our level of earthly security. Admittedly, I think it is a normal and natural tendency to do this, but there is a fundamental flaw. Those who have influence over us have great limitations themselves. Those who have influence over us also have a very limited influence over the world around them. By contrast, the psalmist prescribes a superior alternative to trusting in mere mortals. Here is what he says, Blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God, the maker of heaven and earth, the sea and everything in them, the Lord who remains faithful forever. It's quite a resume that the psalmist gives us. Here's a number of reasons why you shouldn't trust in princes. They're mere men. They eventually die. They can't help you then. Or you could trust in the one who made this universe and all that it contains. Power alone should, should convince us that there's a clear advantage to putting our trust in God. And yet power alone might not be enough to compel our loyalty to Him. That's because we likely want to know something about God's moral character before we commit to following Him. It's one thing to be under the influence of someone who is more powerful than us, but we want to know something about the character of God. We need to know that the one who is all-powerful is also good. It is the moral character of God 
that the author of Psalm 146 focuses on in the second half of the psalm. And if I could set up this portion of the text and summarize it, this is what I would say. The God of this universe has favorites. The God of this universe, the God who created all things, who governs all things by His power, the God of this universe has favorites. Now I realize that for most of us, our sense of justice requires that everyone should be treated equally and have equal opportunity. But if we read the scriptures honestly, we cannot escape that at various times and in various contexts, God has clearly identified favorites. Or we might simply say that God has a special concern for some that he does not show to all. The psalmist details this for us in verse 7 and following. He upholds the cause of the oppressed. He gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets prisoners free. The Lord gives sight to the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the alien and sustains the fatherless and the widow, but he frustrates the ways of the wicked. You could summarize what is conveyed by the categories listed there by saying this, God has a special concern for those who are most vulnerable. God has a special concern for those who are most vulnerable. And framed in this way, the idea that God has favorites, the idea that God prioritizes the care of some over the care of others, makes perfect sense. Every ER doctor understands this. If you've ever had the misfortune of having to go to the hospital and be in the emergency room, you quickly learned that patients are not seen on a first-come, first-served basis in the emergency room. No, in the emergency room, there's a common understanding that the most prudent course of action is to see the most desperate and the most serious cases first. We call this triage, which is a French word which means to sift or to separate. I don't know about you, but I take great comfort. I'm massively encouraged to know that the God who created all things has a holy, wise manner of triage when it comes to dealing with His creation. And as we look at God's priorities, as we consider the objects of God's special concern, that they're those who are most vulnerable, well, that teaches us something about God's character. It teaches us about God's compassionate nature. To know that those who are most vulnerable have His special concern. And maybe you're sitting here this morning thinking, well, Bryn, that's good and fine. But what does that mean for me? 
What does that mean for St. Andrew's Kirk? You've told me some things about God having favorites and Him having a special concern for some people over and above others. What does that mean for us? What does it matter to those gathered here this morning that God prioritizes His care? Well, I hope the, the answer is rather obvious. If God so cares for the most vulnerable of society... So should we. If God so cares for the most vulnerable in society, so should the church. The church is called the body of Christ. Not primarily because we are a body of people, but rather we are the body of Christ in that we are the physical manifestation of Jesus in this world. Or as I have said in previous messages... The church is the means whereby a spiritual Christ continues to function in a physical environment. As such, our mandate is not our own. The church is not in the position of setting its own agenda, but rather our mission is set by God Himself as we represent Him. Accordingly, the things that concern God the most are the things that should concern us the most. James, in his letter, spells this out for us. James writes, Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress, and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. In the ancient world, orphans and widows were among the most vulnerable in society. And while that's not true in every single case, James gives a qualifier that helps to inform our triage. James says we are to look after orphans and widows in their distress. So a big part of what it means to be the body of Christ is to offer compassionate care to the vulnerable when they are in distress. Now I want to take a minute here to help us frame that particular mandate within the larger mandate of the Christian church. And I say this wanting to make clear that our primary mandate, the primary mission of the church is not to assist people with their physical or even emotional needs. The church's primary mandate is to bring the good news of Jesus Christ to bear upon those who are in spiritual distress. Unfortunately, what has happened is that the church has managed to set up a dichotomy. What do I mean by that? I mean to say that in many congregations, one of these things has been the focus to the exclusion of the other. In some churches, the emphasis is squarely on getting people saved. Getting them to raise a hand or walk the aisle or to say a prayer. The emphasis is to get people saved to the exclusion of any kind of compassionate ministry to those in need. By contrast, 
I have seen other churches that are entirely focused on what I would call social justice to the exclusion of any gospel presentation, to the exclusion of any call to personal faith in Christ. Friends, each of these extremes must be avoided. The dichotomy should not exist because quite explicitly, the Church of Jesus Christ is called to both of these things. Now maybe I watch a little bit too much television, but there's one commercial or a series of commercials in particular that I found amusing and actually think provide a helpful illustration for this point. I don't know if you've seen the new commercials for the vehicle made by Ford called the Ford Fusion. Now Ford Fusion wanting to highlight that their vehicle is a great ride and has excellent fuel economy They've developed a slogan called, and is better. Maybe you've seen the commercial. There's a couple eating in a Chinese restaurant, and they're disgusted by what they're eating. And so they ask the waiter, what is this? And the waiter says, it's sour chicken. And of course, nobody wants sour chicken. We want sweet and sour chicken. Then there's a different commercial where a young family man is building a swimming pool and he uses bowls, but he wonders what these nuts are for on the picnic table. And quickly the pool falls apart and it's a big mess because he needed bolts and nuts. So indeed, Ford Fusion has it right and is better. What does that mean for the church? We're explicitly called to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. To use words to convey a message that brings life. And we're explicitly called to do something very practical. We're called to look after widows and orphans in their distress. So how are we doing? How well is St. Andrew's Kirk doing with regard to this mandate? I have no doubt that we have room for improvement. I have no doubt that we have room to deepen our commitment to help those who are most vulnerable. And having conceded that, I want to take some time to thoroughly commend this congregation and to thank the people of St. Andrew's Kirk for their care of those who are most vulnerable. In 16 years of ordained ministry, I have not seen a congregation of this size do as much for the community as this congregation. I couldn't be prouder of you. I couldn't be prouder of your values. And I couldn't be prouder of your action in our community. Well, what have we done of late? 200 children from Bain and Grantstown received fully loaded backpacks for their return to school in September. 
probably very few of you know, we're actually paying the college tuition for a teenager who is an orphan, whose mother died of AIDS last year. He's without parents, and functionally we are his family, and we're paying the tuition for that young man. When I suggested to the elders of this church that we also use church funds to pay for this young person's textbooks, they did something I've never seen the leadership of a church do before. Instead of making a motion to use church funds to pay for the books, a few of them began to pull out their purses and their wallets, and they began to argue over who would get the privilege of paying for this young man's books. The elders of this church were literally tripping over one another to help this young man out. You probably aren't aware, but we recently helped to pay for a wheelchair for a senior citizen in Bain and Grantstown who has been confined to her home for well over a year. But because of our helping with the wheelchair, she's now able to get out. And I have a hope and a dream that we may see her in church here before too long. We have helped to put clothes on the backs of children who did not have adequate dress for school or for church. And did you know that just a few weeks ago, just a few weeks ago, uh, our bus that comes every week... The children got off the bus and there was one little girl who got off the bus and she didn't have any shoes. She realized that this might not be a normal thing, but she really wanted to come to our church and go to our Sunday school. So she got off the bus and she didn't have any shoes. Now it just so happened, but of course there are no coincidences with God. It just so happened we'd done a recent collection of used clothing. And Allie had a bag of clothes from one of, one of our families. And on top of the bag was a pair of shoes. So she thought, well, let's just, let's just try this out. Maybe it'll be clothes. She pulls out this pair of girls' shoes, puts it on the girls' feet, and they fit perfectly. So this girl who got off the bus in our parking lot with no shoes went to Sunday school with new shoes. Or at least new sh or used shoes. Over the next several weeks, I'm going to be inviting you, asking you, to bring in non-perishable food items. Because every year during the week of U.S. Thanksgiving, we deliver groceries to needy families in Bain and Grantstown. Last year, a few of the members, along with myself, delivered 45 very full grocery bags to needy families. And with your help, we can at least do that again this year, if not, do better. And today, today, this afternoon, 11 families represented here will host 25 children from Ramfurly Homes. Some will be taken out for lunch at Luciano's or some other restaurant. Others will be brought to the beach. Others will be brought into homes. We're hosting the Ramfurly Homes children this afternoon. We did this in May for the first time and it was, it was quite successful. And I purposely uh, made sure I was at Ramfurly Homes for the return of all the children from their host homes. 
Now, I spend a fair amount of time at Ranfurly Homes, and I can tell you that there was more excitement and happiness at Ranfurly Homes that day than I ever remember seeing. Now, the best thing about all these activities and initiatives that I've just mentioned to you is they just scratch the surface of what we've done and what we are doing. This is just what we've done recently. I'm not talking about what we did six months ago or a year ago or two years ago. My list is from the last couple of months. I'm mindful that I'm a serious preacher. I'm mindful that Sunday by Sunday I put out probably very difficult challenges asking you to apply God's word faithfully. And I know these are difficult challenges I put out. And I think it would be an unkind omission if there were not also occasions where I applauded you from this pulpit. You deserve to be commended for your faithfulness in representing Jesus Christ to our community. So please grant me the occasional privilege of standing here in this pulpit looking out over you and saying, I'm proud of you. And I thank you for your work in God's kingdom. Now our work is not done, of course. There is much left to be done. And I do recognize that we can't do everything that we might want to do. It is in a very calculated way that our focus has been two-pronged. That our focus has been on the neighborhood immediately to the south, Bain and Grantstown, and to Ranfurly Homes for Children. And by keeping the focus of our church's mission intentionally narrow, I believe we've been able to make a more meaningful impact for the kingdom of God, more than if we had spread our resources over every worthwhile ministry that asked for our help. I regularly say to our elders, there are probably a thousand good things we could do. But we would be a better use for God's kingdom if we focused on only a few. Psalm 146 tells us that God upholds the cause of the oppressed and that God gives food to the hungry. The psalm also says that God sustains the fatherless and God sustains the widow. Well, how does God intend to do this in 2013 and beyond? How does God intend to get this done? He intends to get this done through you and through me. The church is the means whereby a spiritual God functions in a physical environment. Quite literally, we are the body of Christ. We are the physical extension of Christ, the arm of Christ, the heart of Christ. And as we act out in love towards others, we are Christ to those people. And so this morning, I simply want to thank you. Thank you from the deepest part of my heart for playing a part 
in the body of Christ that has special concern for those who are most vulnerable. Amen.